This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, guys, and welcome to another episode of Inside Bristol Live, a weekly podcast that takes you behind the headlines and inside your local newsroom. I'm your host, Alex Ballinger, and with me again today is our producer, Matt. Back again. Back can't again. keep saying back, though, can we? Can't keep every week going. Every week. Oh, I'm back, back again. He's back again. again. It's going to get again. annoying. Well, this yeah. is your hat trick, so maybe this should be the end of the back. This is the trilogy. Yeah, this, this is, is the, the trilogy, <laughs> and then you're not allowed back after this one, because <laughs> we've come full circle now. It's wrapped up nicely. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm here for the, for the duration. We'll bring you back in about 20 episodes time for a prequel that doesn't really make much sense. Yeah, sounds good. I'm um, kind of like side-eyeing the Alien franchise here. <laughs> So this week, we've got a really interesting show for you. First things first, we are going to talk to our What's On team. We've roped in both members of the What's On team to talk about St. Paul's Carnival, which is one of the biggest events of the year in Bristol. So we're going to talk about their coverage and how they cover other events that are like that as well. And then on the show, we've got our reporter, Joe Smith. Joe has been exploring devil coins, which is a really bizarre story. I'll let him explain it because it's just absolutely mad but it's fantastic so listen to that conversation and then finally we have Bronwyn Weatherby who is been writing about a bit of a bizarre situation where a man from Bristol went to Russia to watch the football and forgot his tickets so we're going to talk to Bron about how that story came about and how she went about writing about it on a weekend as well it was a weekend story so that's that gives a slightly different angle to these things have you forgot anything major Matt like that no I'm just looking forward to the the, the Robin and Grace because haven't haven't done two guests. No, I know. Well, there's half the newsroom's in here now. There's basically <laughs> no one left in the office. They're all in the studio recording. I know, right? We, we better we better get on with the get on with the conversations and get you get you back to work, young fella. <laughs> right before we get started, don't forget you can follow us on Twitter at IBL Podcast, and you can rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from. Right, that's enough of that. Let's get on with the show. My name's Grace L and I'm a What's On reporter. I'm Robin Murray, also a What's On reporter. So this week we've roped in the entire What's On team to talk about St. Paul's Carnival. This is a new style that we're going for. We're just going to get the entire office in the room pretty soon. I think. <laughs> Half the room's in here now. Um, so guys, St. Paul's Carnival, massive event coming up this weekend. Are you looking forward to it? Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun, especially if the weather stays how it has been over the past few weeks. Um, obviously, a lot of people are excited to see it return after such a long absence and it should be a really good day. Lots of party vibes, there's a hell of a lot going on. So, yeah, I think it's going to be great. What about you, Robin? Um, I echo those sentiments entirely. No, no I think it's great. <laughs> it's clearly been missing from Bristol for the past three years and I think I might speak on behalf of us here, but I don't think Grace has been to it. And neither have I. So, I've never um, been either. I've lived here my, most of my life and never been either. Mm, and I think there's going to be a lot of people in that category. Um, so I think it's going to be a really, really um, fantastic event and I'm very much looking forward to it. It's a big occasion to go because, as you said, it's coming back for the first time. Is it three years it hasn't been on for? So it's going to be, yeah. going to be, is it going to be a bigger event that they've got planned this year than previous ones? I think so. I mean, it's also the 50th anniversary, which gives it an extra bit of clout as well. 
Um, so I think they really are going to bring out all the stops. And I know the um, the committee has been working tirelessly to to make it really special. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they've um, what they've planned. So I'm sure I'm sure you guys have been writing about this a lot in the lead up to it. What sort of things have you been looking at? You know, on the way into the festival before it starts. So there's always loads to consider from our perspective when there's a big event like this coming to Bristol. Um, we have to do quite a lot of work in preparation for the big day itself to make sure that people go and can find out all the information they need. Um, so we, in relation to St Paul's, we've we're in well we're still still sorting it out, but we're in the process of putting together a lot of different stories about all the things you can see on the day, all the live music, all the stages, the route map, times of when it's gonna all happen. Um what else have we got? We've got um a map of where all the sound systems are gonna be, a roundup of all the different food and drink that's gonna be on offer. Um and then we obviously put that all together in one sort of big guide to the event so people who are going who perhaps haven't been before and aren't familiar with what it what it all entails and how the day kind of works have got that there and can refer back to that to make sure that they they get the most out of things and and know what to expect talk us through a little bit for anyone that might have heard of the festival by night that other carnival might not know exactly what it is what is the sort of philosophy behind it so it's essentially a mass celebration of afro-caribbean culture and in the past, I think they've focused predominantly on kind of just Jamaican music, whereas this year there's going to be a vast array of different genres going on across the 17 sound systems. Something like salsa, calypso, drum and bass, dub, reggae, a real kind of array of sounds. And obviously on top of that, you've got the celebration of food. There's, I think there's going to be around 40 different food stalls dotted around St. Paul's. So yeah, I think it's just a great day for the whole city to come together and celebrate how diverse and culturally vibrant Bristol is. Another thing to add as well, one of well, the main kind of flagship event of the day will be the carnival procession, mm. which is always really, really colourful, really vibrant, loads of dancing, loads of live, live music, loads of sort of really brightly coloured floats and just a proper party vibe, really. That takes place throughout the afternoon and then makes its way kind of through St Paul's. So if you check us out later in the week, you'll be able to see um, a guide to the the route and you can sort of plan your viewing spot from there because that's, by all accounts, that's a really huge spectacle and it's, it's definitely one not to be missed. Something else on the procession. This year, they haven't given too much away, but I clocked earlier that after it starts on Wilson Street at midday, there is going to be an Arcadia bug along the way. Anyone who's seen Arcadia in the past will know that it's um, it's an incredible site. And they're not giving too much away on it, but I think it's definitely worth mentioning. And it is going to be on a road, which I cannot currently find. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm looking at my phone. That's fine, that's fine. Oh, yeah, I do apologise for that. But yeah, it's going to be somewhere along the route, uh, which is not very helpful, but I guess there's a teaser for you. <laughs> go to www.bristol.live to get the full details. There you go. I mean, that's what I was going for. Was, Promotion. Yeah, it's Promotion. tease. But yeah. <laughs> the so is going to be amazing. So that's an Arcadia sort of segment of the procession, is it? I think so. I think it's going to be like a scaled down version of the, the full spider, so to speak. So what is it for our, for our listeners who might not have heard of Arcadia? Uh, the Arcadia is something which started in Bristol and it's essentially like a massive, terrifying spider with a kind of uh, a DJ pod in the middle where the DJ can see like a 360 view of the crowd. They have circus performers, kind of fire breathing, bits and bobs. It's absolutely terrifying, but also incredible and probably one of the best music stages in the world, I'd say. It takes place at Glastonbury, used to be at Boomtown, um, and they also have standalone events now, including in Bristol and London. So even if it's just like a scaled down version of what that 
beast is, I think it'd still be worth seeing. You won't even be able to miss it, will you? You won't be able well, to no, miss it. You should be able to see it from miles away. feel the heat from it before yeah. you see it. Yeah, you'll so. hear, the, hear that whoosh of the fire, won't exactly, you? Exactly, yeah. know. So it should be a really good procession, and that goes from 12 until 2, I want to say. Although, again, you'll have to check Bristol Live for the full details. <laughs> Professional. <laughs> <laughs> Slick. Um, so what is your guys' plan for covering the event itself, then, as our What's On team? So it's kind of split into two parts, really. Um, as I mentioned earlier, when major events come to Bristol, it's as much about the preparation in advance of the event as it is the kind of stuff on the day. So I'll talk you through what we're what we're kind of doing in advance. And that is essentially, as I said before, getting as much content ready for people who are planning to go so that they can plan their day, plan what time they want to go, plan what things they want to see, plan what sound systems they want to check out. And they can just make sure then that they get the most out of the day by looking at our, our range of articles. And then I'll hand over to Robin, who I believe is covering the event on the day, and he can talk you through what his plan is. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I'll be the eyes on the ground. Man on the ground, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's an enviable role. I'll be feeding information back to the office. I believe there'll be someone here running a live blog. So I'll be feeding information, whether it's pictures, videos, interviews, that kind of thing, back to the office. And then we'll have a lovely live blog running on the day. And I believe I'll also be doing a Facebook Live at some stage so people can look forward to seeing um, the carnival action unfold from their living rooms. I believe if England beat Colombia tonight, then there, there will be a, a small football game to watch on Saturday. Not that, not that major, though. Not that major. <laughs> no, 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 carnival is obviously far I'm more ba- important. Barely anyone to be watching that. I well, yeah, this is the thing. I'm expecting, like, um, if England do get through, a mass surge at full time from all the pubs in <laughs> St. Paul's. So, um, yeah, it could be quite, quite a sight. Facebook Live is a really good way of... For especially for vibrant things like this of really taking people there isn't it you know and you can talk them through what's happening but also you can just show them the spectacle if they can't make it themselves it's a really fun way of of getting the story out there isn't it in a slightly sort of yeah, different definitely. way to a new story yeah, yeah I'm really looking forward to doing that actually as we saw from uh, our colleague Bronwyn Weatherby's Facebook Live from Easton several weeks ago it was amazing I think, I think she was there for around an hour um, so it'd be great to replicate something like that, you know, that people can... You can do the full four hours of the procession on Facebook Live. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, just jump, just jump on one up. of the floats. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll be on Arcadia at some stage, I'm sure. <laughs> how much of you going down to the carnival is work and how much is just you having a jolly? No comment. <laughs> no, I mean, I'll, I'll just tell him anything, Robin. Yeah. 70-30 <laughs> or... 70-30, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the, the joy of our job, I guess. To us, it's not really work because we'd be going to this event anyway. And, you know, part of our part of the enjoyment from our job is relaying information to other people. So if we get to do that as we enjoy ourselves, then, uh, you know, it's two birds with one very fun stone. We're in a kind of very privileged position, really, because St Paul's is just one of the many great events that Robin and I get to cover throughout the year. And... There is a fair amount of work involved in relation to each event while you're there because obviously if something breaks, you don't want to miss it. Um, And as you mentioned before, you want to kind of give people a real flavour of what it's like to be there. But as Robin said, these are things that we would be, you know, attending or paying to attend anyway because we're just, we're, we're like that as people. So to actually call it work and get paid while we're doing it is just an added bonus. Like you said, there's loads of events in Bristol. Bristol is particularly fantastic for massive events like this, isn't it? You know, that people will know around the country, not just here as well. So how has your job changed as well in relation to covering those things? Because what's on writing jobs used to be very different, didn't they? It used to be a lot like theatre reviews and things like that, but things have changed quite a lot and the kind of things that people want to know about their events have changed as well. 
Well, the um, the content that we have to prepare in advance is really important and it feels like a bit of a slog, in all honesty, putting it together at the time. But then when you see how well read and how well shared they are around the time of the event and over the course of whatever weekend that will be itself, um, that makes it all really worthwhile and it's nice to feel like an authority on things that are going on in the city and know that the work you're doing is is helping other people enjoy their free time as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, the main event for us over the course of the year is the Bristol Balloon Fiesta. That requires a lot of planning mm-hmm. in the lead up to it. Um, but obviously that happens every year. So we get the chance to to have a run on it and look back at what worked and what didn't work last year. St Paul's is, is new territory for the both of us. So it'll be really interesting, I think, to see what readers go for, what people enjoy and look to build on that next year. Robin's nodding. Yeah, I mean, I, was, uh, I couldn't put it better myself, really. I was trying to work out when it was the time that it was theatre reviews, to be honest. Was, um, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, going back decades there, aren't we? But um, I think we are very lucky that Bristol was home to so many fantastic events, as we all know. And there are, you know, several coming up, which I'm really looking forward to covering, uh, as well as Carnival. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great role. Is there a flip side to your job as well? So you talk about all the lovely things that are happening and you cover those, but then there is a more serious side to events, isn't there? St. Paul's Carnival being a perfect example of that, where there's been a lot of, it's been struggling in recent years, hasn't it? There's been financial problems and organisational issues. Do you guys also have to cover those sort of, these more hard hit insides to what's on stories? For sure, yeah. And it's um, it's important to get the balance right in terms of making sure that that sort of harder news is properly covered and properly represented, but then making sure that you still have a good working relationship with the organisers behind said events. I think Grillstock's been a really good example of that and all the fallout recently about their funding problems. That's been quite a different side to what's on. It's definitely more newsy, but you know, both Robin and I have strong backgrounds in news journalism, so it's a chance to just remember what we can can still do aside from covering events. That again ties in with St Paul's Carnival because one of the things that the new organisers, because the organisers have changed, haven't they? There was one company that was putting it together and now the the council lost confidence in those organisers and has now sort of set up another group that are going to be putting the carnival together. One of the things that the new organisers have talked about is the the atmosphere around the carnival went from one of being really fun celebration to being one where people had some safety concerns around it. Is that something that they've tried to tackle in bringing the festival back this year? I believe so, yeah. I went to a meeting for the committee around four months ago, I think, and that was um, very much a, a big emphasis of that meeting. I think it's important to point out that from from what I gather, anyway, obviously I haven't covered carnival before, but it sounds like the kind of the violence, if there is any, kind of ensues after carnival. So I think the carnival itself is going to be a really safe, fun day for people of all ages. You know, there are there are stages for families and kids to enjoy, as well as, you know, all the music and kind of chaos. Um, and I think there's only going to be trouble if people are looking for it. I think that's something that the committee has wanted to um, make clear throughout. So I think if there are people out there who are kind of concerned or wary about attending carnival, they shouldn't be because um, there are going to be stewards and police around. And it's only the people that are looking for the, the trouble that are going to find it, I think. Great stuff, guys. Thanks so much. And I hope you enjoy the carnival. Thanks very much. Cheers. That was our brilliant What's On team there talking about their coverage of St. Paul's Carnival, which is happening this weekend. Right, let's jump into our next conversation with Joe Smith, who has been writing about devil coins, which is like something from a Dan Brown novel. I'm really intrigued. I know, I know. It's going to be amazing. I'm really excited about this because I only know the title. I've only been told two words, basically. And I really want to know what it's about. Today we're talking about one of the my favourite stories 
I've ever written here at Bristol Live. And there's a, uh, there's a lot of competition in that category as well. If you've written some stuff. Written some absolute bangers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Bringing out the classics year after year. Yeah, but, you know, this is way up there. Um, so this is a story that has nothing to do with Bristol. And <laughs> it's about a week old. Strong stuff. So for your Bristol News podcast, uh, it may not be great, but it's my favourite story and it's fantastic. This is a story from uh, end of June, 26th of June it came out. And it's to do with devil coins. Yes. What devil is that? Coins. We're hooked. Everyone's hooked. The currency of Satan himself. Yeah. <laughs> so this was a story that came from my friend Owen. He's an archaeologist. He works at Wessex Archaeology. And I saw he'd posted up a little story that one of his team members had written about these devil coins that they'd found while working on the floor of Bath Abbey. So they'd lifted up some pews and a, and a wooden platform. Underneath this platform, they'd found a bunch of old stuff, you know, old coins like halfpennies and shillings and whatnot. An order of service from 1902. And then amongst all this kind of litter from bygone times, uh, they found a couple of coins with pictures of the devil on them and some mysterious writing. So on one side, the coins say Civitas Diaboli. I'm not very good at Latin, but that's what <laughs> <laughs> Haven't got the accent down. <laughs> yeah. So that means the city of the devil. And on the other side, it said 13 Maj Anholt, which means 13th of March Anholt, 1973. That's in Danish. So Bruce, the guy who was the project lead for this archaeology work in Bath Abbey, was obviously a little bit interested by this. He'd never bit, seen these devil coins before. Yeah. Um, he was like, these are, these are coins with Satan on them. I'm going to investigate further. So I had a chat with Bruce and he talked me through what he'd done and, and what he'd found out. And it was really, really interesting. It, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Um, the story twists and turns. It's kind of crazy. Is this going to turn into some sort of Dan Brown Illuminati sort right. of thing? Yeah. So how I've been selling it the last week is it's Dan Brown meets uh, Steve Larson, the guy who wrote those Nordic noir thrillers. And it really is. It's fantastic. So it begins in 1973 uh, on the tiny desolate island of Anholt in the North Sea which is the same word that appeared on the back of the coins. Now, Anholt has about 200, 300 people living on it. It's very remote. It's quite windswept. There's not much going on there. But in May 1973, the good people of Anholt discovered a bunch of ritual satanic sites dotted around the island. There were 13 of these sites. They included things like bones wrapped in cloth, black candles, weird masks, horns, bits of animals, um, mannequins' heads, all kinds of weird stuff. So, you know, they're a little bit off-put by this. They phoned the police. A guy from the mainland came over to investigate. And shortly after the police turned up to investigate, a huge media fury kicked off because obviously the press loves satanic stuff. As we can see through this very conversation <laughs> we're having Absolutely, now. <laughs> absolutely. Um, so there was, yeah, a bit of a national uproar. Um, the police found a bunch. They examined all the stuff they found, all the weird heads and whatnot. Um, Rumours of human sacrifices abounded. They found a, a kind of a woman's name and some dates engraved onto a stone there. And the newspapers reported this as evidence of a human sacrifice because the final date was 1973. It wasn't. Uh, the woman <laughs> phoned up the newspaper and said, no, I'm, I'm alive. I'm well. Yeah, <laughs> they were just the dates that she was on the island for. She carved her name into it when she left. To... I bet she didn't think that was going to happen. No. That people were going to assume she was, she was a sacrifice to Satan. No, indeed. Well, the islanders were terrified. Press was in an uproar. Uh, nothing really came of the investigation. And after a few months, it kind of died out. Um, but shortly after that, these coins start turning up all over the place, exactly like the ones we saw in Bath Abbey. There are different variations on it. They all have something diabolical on them, the devil's head, a picture of the devil, 
and they all have this date and the word Anhalt on the back. So over the following years, hundreds of these coins are found all over Denmark. They pop up in places like the National Museum. There's some found behind a painting in the police headquarters in the capital. And occasionally they appear alongside letters claiming to be from a high priestess of Satan. So um, this kind of goes on for a few years until, when was it? I think 2013, a Danish newspaper started to look into it. They ran a six-part investigation on like, what these coins were and, and, and what on earth this was all about, where these letters were coming from. And in the end, they tracked it down to a chap who worked as a clerk in the National Gallery of Denmark. This guy led a fairly quiet, unassuming life, but he was secretly an absolute hero. (laughs) (laughs) Before this whole satanic thing started off, he used to apparently transplant plants, like plant specimens from the south of Denmark to the north of Denmark and replant them. It's the most specialist job in the world. But he did it. Off his own back, just, oh, to, just to mess it, with it oh, to mess with botanists. His whole plan was his job. He's just confusing people by doing this. Um, <laughs> um, and he also, for a pastime, went around hiding these coins. Now, apparently, he had a couple of friends who were coin collectors and coin experts in Denmark, and they were in on the joke. And they, one of them, had a coin press, and he would mint these coins, and they would go you know, hiding them and stuff. Unfortunately, the man, his name was Lankow. Uh, died in 2004, age 73. He took his own life, sadly. So when the newspaper came through their investigation, he wasn't there to talk to, but they spoke to his niece. His niece said he just thought the whole thing was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and the implication is that he or some accomplices of his set up the ritual satanic sites on the island of Anholt and then went on to produce and distribute these coins for people to find, just leave them uh, you know, hidden really quite well. There are stories of coins like placed underneath coffins in graves or taped to the underside of statues in churches, or like in the case of Bath Abbey, kind of dropped down some very old kind of wooden pews and left to be discovered by future archaeologists. I think he knew what he was doing. It's a big risk, isn't it? Because like, what if nobody just nobody finds them? Well, there are probably hundreds more that haven't been found yet. Yeah, yeah I imagine they must And also, he doesn't get there. to enjoy the fruits of his labour, really. You know, you do that and it happens hundreds of miles away and you never get to sort of sit there and laugh, basically. Yeah. So he's doing this purely because of what he imagines the consequences will be. Yeah, I think so. I think so. But I think it's amazing that this story has kind of stretched from like the 1970s on some windswept island in the North Sea all the way to Bath Abbey. And I was really chuffed when I found it. I thought it just it just seems like such an unbelievably incongruous thing to happen. The longest running practical joke that I've ever and heard And it of. starts off seeming so sinister. Yeah, and then it comes from a really dark place. Yeah, it start, it start, it's like a reverse Dan Bryan where it starts, it starts really dark and everything's going to be really horrible and it just ends up being the most insignificant thing ever. It's just yeah. a guy who was bored. Oh, well, side, I don't but... know if you call it insignificant. It's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It so, is fantastic. So his niece, when the paper interviewed her, said, uh, I think normality annoyed him. He did not like ordinary. That's a quote. Getting that feeling from him, yeah. But obviously the archaeologists who found it were amazed by this and and props to Bruce and his team for looking into it. How did they get to the bottom of it? So there has been one paper written about this. If you Google this guy, uh, if you Google the name Anne Hull or the, the the chap's name or the dates, nothing comes up. There's a few conspiracy theories that centre around it being a satanic cult. So anything that is pre-2013, pre this investigation by the Danish newspaper, you Google it and it's just people being insane on the internet. So Bruce said the beginning of his research was just him looking through like conspiracy theory websites, forums, there's a big long Reddit thread about it. 
just people who believed that someone in Denmark is killing people. And it wasn't until he came across uh, an academic who studied this. This is a, a Danish guy who wrote a long academic paper about it. And he kind of goes into it in depth and, and looks and talks about the kind of cultural significance of what he's doing. I think the guy is coming at it from a, a Satanist perspective. So he, I, from reading it, I get the impression that the man who wrote it is an expert on, on Satanism, which is, you know, uh, a modern strand of belief that some people adhere to. It's not all kind of like black candles and stuff. From what I can gather, it's some fairly similar. No, I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, the guy, the guy who one, in, the one in four people in good effort. Satanism. Good effort. You, you try. Yeah, I mean, I have no, I'm not going to pretend I'm going to know what Satanism is all about. Um, he, he's like probably the only academic source on it at the moment. There are other academics currently working on it, I'm told, and there's more coming out about it soon. But at the moment, uh, this guy's academic paper, the Danish investigation, and now the Bristol Live article are the only uh, sources about this. Having said that, that story got picked up and went, you know, all over the place. I'm not surprised at all. That's the sort of thing that everyone loves, no matter where you're from. Yeah. You're just going to be interested in it. It's that, been in the national papers last week. It's, it was in, in the news in Australia. People are very interested about it. because. Um, and although it wasn't Bristol, mm. it was quite close by. It was close enough to Bristol and it was such a good story that I couldn't resist yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, I thought uh, it was worth telling. Joe, what's your secret? Because quite the few stories that you brought into the office have been the most bizarre stories I've ever seen in my life. I would say like a list of top five weird stories that I've seen since I've been a journalist. I think you've got all of them, yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you. First of all, that's uh, high praise indeed. The weirdest ones, uh, they all come from my friends. (laughs) I have a strange group of friends and they like to feed me weird stories. They have an eclectic mix of of occupations, don't they, your friends by the sounds of it? Yeah, they do. They do, both legitimate and otherwise. And uh, they're a great source of stories. Because people might not realise you... were also the brains behind Tinder Poogate. <laughs> I'm not sure brains is the right word. <laughs> but yeah, I did happen to stumble across that one. That was uh, my, my so moment of triumph. How that story came about is another story. <laughs> but back to this story. When are you starting to write the paperback novel that will be available in WH Smith's airports? I imagine. Yeah. And when is, can I see Tom Hanks in the cinema? This is crying <laughs> for that. It certainly is. It is crying out for uh, some fiction to be written around it. And, you know, I'm a little bit sorry that I broke the story in the first place because now I'm going to be racing people who've read it uh, across the country. But no, I'd love to write something about it. The archaeologist I was talking to who's been investigating it also thinks it would be an, an excellent topic for some fiction. So yeah, hopefully I can talk to him about it and maybe we'll do something around it. Unless he's working on it himself as well. Maybe. Because I think I might go and start right now, to be honest. I'm going to draft something up. Well, I don't know. Don't cross me, man. I'll sacrifice you. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, thanks so much. That's the most bizarre story I've heard for ages. You're welcome. That was not a story I was expecting to read recently. So thanks so much to Joe for talking about how that one came about. It's just absolutely bizarre. Really bizarre. Really odd, isn't it? Right, okay, let's go into our last conversation this week with Bronwyn Weatherby about forgetful football fans. So Bron, the story we're chatting about this week is quite tragic, really, isn't it? Can you talk us through a little bit about what happened? Okay, so I was working on Sunday, I believe when the England-Panama game was on and um, I saw a tweet from a popular broadcaster and uh, he was he had taken a selfie of him and a, an England supporter who travelled all the way to Russia only to realise he'd forgotten his ticket back home in England. So they were appealing at the time for someone to give him a spare ticket, basically. And I thought, 
you know, the guy was from Bristol. So instantly I thought, let's help him out. You know, let's jump on the bandwagon, so to speak. And um, yeah, get his story out there. And it, yeah, it did really well. It kind of went through to all the national papers and things because it just seemed so sad. It seemed, I mean, a little bit funny as well, you know, a bit of a dark sense of humour. But, uh, you know, travelling all the way to Russia, that's dedication in itself. You know, he's clearly a big England supporter. And then to realise you've forgotten... Your ticket, I mean, that's devastating. There was part of it that was quite heartwarming though, wasn't it? Because this whole appeal did go a long way on Twitter and stuff and people were trying to get him a ticket. And it was really nice to see that. But at the same time, it was really like, oh, that would be so awful. Because to be honest, I could picture myself doing that as well. I think that's the sad thing about it. I think that's why it resonates a little bit. Everyone's forgotten the ticket to the gig or, you know, their train ticket or something, their prom ticket, whatever it is, however old you are. I know I used to do it a lot when I was younger. Um, You've forgotten something, you've got halfway there or all the way there and you've realised you've forgotten it and then there's nothing really you can do. I I did it yesterday morning. I was on the early shift yesterday and I forgot my work pass so oh I couldn't God, get into the, the building and I was the yeah. first person in so I just had to kind of wait around it was absolutely appealing not, to the security yeah. luckily I didn't travel to Russia for work so it's <laughs> no, slightly exactly. easier and it's such a long way I mean and, and a lot of the stadiums are in once like the middle of once a lifetime trip isn't it really yeah once yeah, in a lifetime exactly. trip and he'd looked like you know if you look at the picture if you go on to my Twitter at Bron Weatherby self-promotion I'm, we didn't approve that <laughs> That wasn't pre-approved. I've just got to, I've got to get in where I can. Right, Matt, cut that out. <laughs> right, anyway, go on. But um, if you go on there, you'll see I, I've retweeted it and I've put my own tweets up. And you'll see the guy, the guy's obviously had a great time in Russia. You know, he's, he's like, T-shirt's a bit dirty. He's obviously having a whale of a time, but he knows now that he's like, maybe got not very much chance of, of heading to the game and actually sitting in the stadium. The reason why you would travel to Russia, otherwise you could just watch it on a screen back home, surely. Yeah, just watching it in a pub in Russia isn't isn't (laughs) much different from watching it. I suppose it is quite nice still and you can watch it in the village outside. Yeah, it would be like the atmosphere. Still not being inside. Still not being inside the game. Exactly. But I mean, very, very early on, maybe about an hour into uh, publishing the story. I mean, obviously it wasn't just me. By this point, the Mirror had picked it up as well. I think the Mail Online had, you know, there was quite a few publications who'd picked it up. And obviously the broadcaster himself, I think his name's Dan Howells, he, he's an ITV broadcaster and he was also there on the ground kind of trying to source Douglas. Douglas is the name of the guy, by the way. A ticket. So about an hour in... Uh, this like sports travel company and said, yeah, we've got a spare ticket. Like, let's find Douglas and give it to him. Let's get him to the game. Woo. And so everyone was really excited. And I got a message of Dan Howells then because uh, I was like, what's the update? And they were like, yeah, we've got the ticket, but we can't actually find Douglas. <laughs> he end just it. disappeared. It seems like it's going to be such a happy ending. And then it just yeah, doesn't Yeah, you know, that's that what way. I thought. You know, that's the best outcome for one of these stories. It's kind of a, oh, no. Something's not going to come off, but it did, you know, and that kind of story is really uplifting, particularly before an England match. People following the story would be like, yes, and then it'd be like a positive vibe going into the game, wouldn't it? Yeah, and I was trying to ring, you know, ring his hotel and things to get like a comment from him, to have a chat with him and also to find him. Uh, Many people were trying to do the same, of course. The problem is that he didn't have a phone. That was the issue, wasn't it? (laughs) Yes, yes. So that's another thing that Dan said. He said, um, you're going to have to ring his hotel. This is the hotel we're at because he was staying at the same hotel with him at the time. He's like, you're going to have to ring the hotel and his room to try and get a comment from him. But at the moment, we can't find him. We don't think he's there. 
and he doesn't have a mobile phone. So he's traveled. Douglas has traveled all the way to Russia. Was he on? He's on his own as well, wasn't he? I think so. I mean, he's a bit of a mystery to me now. You know, who? Where is he? Douglas who is, is Douglas? An enigma. So yeah. still don't know where he is. I mean, yeah, well, I'm sure no. no people did find him in the end. Oh, so thank God. But we don't know where he is. <laughs> we don't know where he is. Lost now. in Russia. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, they found him eventually. He turned up to the hotel 40 minutes before kickoff, but by that point. It was too late for him to get to the stadium because these stadiums are huge, aren't they? And they're very far out. 40 minutes was too little time to get him there to pick up the tickets for him to watch and the game. And get him to a seat. So he still didn't make he it. He didn't make Poor it. Douglas. Didn't. Poor I know, Douglas. national campaign to get Douglas to the game and he doesn't make it. it. But I mean... 40 minutes. I think that just time. like sums up Douglas's trip though, doesn't it? He had an absolute <laughs> nightmare. Douglas, if you're a podcast listener, we are really sorry. That is, it's We're mortifying. S- yeah. I know. It's horrible. I wonder how much it cost him as well. It couldn't have been cheap. No, exactly. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure he had a whale of a time in the pub anyway. But after finding out that someone had actually got you a ticket, because he'd probably just thought. That's like two disappointments. Yeah. yeah. Well, cause, like, you've you've forgotten re- your ticket. Oh, I've got another one. Oh, can't. No, I can't, <laughs> can't get two it. Two disappointments. Yeah. And yeah. in between that, just that is sandwiched between a really good bit of luck where he met an ITV journalist who was willing to help him out and exactly. managed to actually find him a ticket and that was so there's like in the middle of this there's amazing bit of news that was really that lucky that must have been one hell of a roller coaster for him do you know what yeah. it, it probably was better than going to the game to be honest yeah I bet it would I mean it was a good game like, I mean that was a roller coaster but I bet it's borderline it, emotional abuse isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean he's Imagine. probably gone out in the morning having met Dan Howells so yeah I'll have a photo with this geezer you know nothing's really going to come of it probably gone and got like drunk isn't he in like a pub <laughs> come back just before the game to like freshen up to go out again and you know everyone's kind of I'd left a note in his room I'd left several notes in his room so God knows how many notes other Had journalists you, you'd ask the front desk to leave a note <laughs> <Yes>. you? <laughs> but you meant you'd been to Russia on Sunday yeah I know it's not really sometimes this job throws some weird things in your way doesn't it I mean I definitely didn't walk into work on the Sunday morning and think I'm going to be ringing a Russian hotel today and trying to speak to a a Russian receptionist and try and put a note in a man's room um (laughs) sounds so ominous (laughs) when you put it like that dear Douglas (laughs) please will you call me on this number (laughs) trying to spell my name as well to uh, to the Russian receptionist I felt so sorry for her and she kept trying to say it and I was like yes I know I know it's weird I'm sorry (laughs) people get it wrong in the office never mind people do get it wrong in the office never mind in Russia (laughs) so I was going to ask you about this story was fine through social media, wasn't it? Yeah. We stumbled across it on social media. Sometimes people give us a bit of stick for finding our stories on social media. I think there's two different kinds of story from social media, isn't there? There's yeah. a story that's found on social media and there's a story that's written purely on social media stuff, which is a different thing, I would say. Yeah, exactly. But- a lot of people will put something like a topic that is a story on social media. It would have been a story whether it it happened in a time that there wasn't any social media and in a time that there is. It's just the the way we go about communicating these days is a lot different. So now we've got the ability for, you know, to put, if you've got a good following on Twitter and you're a well-known person and you see someone in need of help or whatever, you know, like Dan Howells was, we can put that over social media and instantly create, 
you know, a thing around it. Uh, whereas before you might have done that if if it was like a live program, you would have got that person, they would have got them into the studio and been like this person, you know. So it's just different ways of going about things. I do agree with you. You know, sometimes there'll be stories that are purely based on, I don't know, social media reactions. Twitter goes into meltdown or Twitter can't handle it. Those yeah. ones. Twitter can't oh, handle it, it those no, kind they of things. Me. I don't like those. It, you know, they, there's good ones, there's bad ones. There's some funny, there are some really funny ones, which I think everyone can appreciate to a certain extent. But, you know, story, you know, you can't criticize people for getting stories of social media. We put so much of our lives now. And that's the brilliance of it. I mean, we communicate so well now across the globe that I was able to, and, a, you know, a reporter that I work with was able to see a tweet from Russia. And within sort of half an hour, we had a story up trying to get Douglas a ticket and talking about Douglas's story. I mean, that's brilliant, really, when you think about it. And regardless of what your reaction to that story was, I don't think anyone would, would be like, that's not a story. Yeah, just because exactly it came from social media. Is. Yeah, yeah, just because it came from social media. <laughs> exactly. I think it's just the way that people have changed in the way they talk about things yeah. now, you know, in the way that they might have previously phoned a newspaper with a story or they might have gone and told their mates and it sort of gets passed around and ends up at a newspaper. People are just talking constantly about things that are happening online. And there is a lot, you have got to be a bit wary sometimes, haven't you, where there's so much being said on social media that you need to sort of double check things before you ever, before you go chasing things basically, because, you know, you'd be there all day otherwise. I think the, the difference with social media and why you have to be careful, as you say, is that, um, People do have a tendency to say whatever they want or whatever they feel, real or false, on social media. Sometimes what they want to be true as well. Sometimes if they want something to be a story when it's not. Whereas, um, I mean, it probably still happened back in the day where people rang up and said some sort of lie over over the phone to try and get the paper to print something that was false. But, you know, sometimes social media runs away with itself. Like if someone puts something, then people quite often a lot of people will believe it and so it appears more real because lots of people start tweeting about it or lots of people start sharing it when in actual fact the root of it is a complete lie or it's a the truth has been changed in in some way but not everyone gets it right all the time you know we have to verify things before we print them um otherwise we start being called fake news as people i remember reading one recently where it kind of makes me think if it sounds too big, good too good to be true, mm. be really careful. But I remember seeing a story that went quite a few places actually about some lads that phoned up with a story and they said, oh, we were on holiday in a Greek island, I think on a lad's holiday. We got a boat, rented a boat, we sailed it to Syria and we landed on the shore in Syria over there for a bit. We sort of hung around and then <laughs> we got back on the boat and then we sailed back to our Greek island. And it, a couple of days later, after a few places ran this story, they were just like, oh yeah, we made it up just completely made it up yeah yeah but that is quite an easy thing to do where if someone came to me with that story and said i've just been on a boat to syria but like, that is the best story in the world that's amazing <laughs> yeah i need something to prove it because yeah. you could just be completely lying about it yeah i think as well you know when when you're publishing online again so it's the kind of equivalent isn't it to the social media age we post stories online um usually the same time or before they go in the paper and the onus is on speed where you can. I mean, obviously quality and good journalism, but um, there's also, you know, let's get it online. You, you know, need to be people- first, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think people can rush to things. 
And that's probably something like, I don't know how difficult it would have been to verify it. I mean, they probably had pictures with it that maybe you could have had someone say, well, that's not Syria or someone confirm that you couldn't actually just pull up a boat on, you know, on a Syrian beach without like border control or something happening. (sighs) People make mistakes. Journalist mistakes, you know, happen all the time, but we do try. (laughs) We do try try and and avoid them as much as we can. And when mistakes happen, you have to correct them promptly as well, don't you? And publicly as well. You can't just sort of take, we're not allowed to just take a story down if it's wrong. You know, we have to say something about it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I don't think, you know, and it's not their job, so why would they be aware of it? But, um, you know, I don't think many people are aware that if we do make mistakes of any kind, like you said, we have to make corrections and we have to publicly either apologize or make people aware of the co- the correction so and we that can be reported seen. to an outside body as well there's an ind- independent body yeah ipso, uh, called yeah. ipso um, which is the independent press standards organization oh well done if i've got that wrong ask, if i've got me. that wrong then that is uh, a breach of accuracy so we'll have to apologize yeah. for it. we'll do a correction next <laughs> we'll week we'll do a correction yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> don't report me to ipso Very over me getting correction. ipso's name wrong um and people can re- report most news organisations that signed up to it is voluntary to sign up to it, but you can report inaccuracies and then Ipso will tell you to do something. They'll tell yeah. you to make a uh, clarification or correction or whatever. So it's not just like we publish things and then there's no ramifications whatsoever no. for what we publish. Yeah. No, there isn't. And and depending on what the mistake is and how, like for instance, purposeful or non-purposeful is, I mean, most mistakes, they're not purposeful there are genuine mistakes and apologies should be made and corrections should be made. And those are kind of punishment enough. But in the, in the case, you know, where there is something that's gone awry, you know, there is a process to, for people to go through where they can, they, they can get sort of justice. Is justice the right word? But yeah, justice for the sort of inaccuracy or, or what they think has gone wrong. And I think, you know, the, Primarily, we're here for people. We're for the public. We're here to hold public bodies account, and we should also be held account. And that's why there are there is a body like Ipso to keep us in check a bit. And I think most journalists will they accept that inaccuracies are something that happens. We always try and avoid them, like the plague. Absolutely hate making mistakes. It's the worst thing. But a lot of journalists accept, or most journalists accept that it's something that happens, and will put their hands up and say, "Yeah." okay, I'm really sorry, I made a mistake. Yeah. And it's something that you do have to accept and you can sort of try and work around, isn't it? Yeah, you're you're always told as a journalist, like going in, that if you make a mistake and you notice it, but no one else has noticed it, like don't bury your head in the sand because, you know, it's definitely going to come back to bite you. And it's so much better, you know, if you just correct it straight away, you know, you tell your news desk, they can they can put things in place, you know, they can start getting hold of the person that it might affect and things like that. And immediately... It's better for all involved, but you know you. I mean, you it's, definitely it's a good rule of thumb as a person as well. Just generally, if you yeah, make a mistake, right, actually, just own yeah, up yeah. to it and yeah. and, uh, and don't move run away on. From it. Yeah. Not, yeah, not just in journalism, in all careers, whatever yeah. you do, just put it yeah. all yeah. careers. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think with with journalists, especially though, like I think the reason why we have these quite obvious rules, they should be obvious, but they're not always to people, is because the things that we do are so in the public forum that we have to be very careful uh, about how we go about things and how we are seen to behave when, when you know, the proverbial does hit the fan. <laughs> we can't just run away or, or just hold our own or 
uh, be defensive about it. We've we've got to go away uh, and and think about how to go about things in a way that's beneficial for everyone, including the person that it might be affecting. We've gone on a bit of a tangent, but luckily there were no mistakes yeah. <laughs> from our side. From our side with Douglas, Hopefully. I've got a question. Go on, Have man. you got any a, any stories of when you forgot something that was vitally important to the situation? That's a good question. I like vitally that. important to the situation. I was quite ditzy when I was younger. And those who know me now may tell you I still am. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'd like to dispute that. But um, I was particularly ditzy when I was younger. And when I was going for my driving test, I woke up on the morning of and thought, you know, it's all going to be fine. This is going to be great. I'm like confident. Walk downstairs looking for my paper, my theory test. You know, because you used to have to take that. I don't yeah. think you have to take it now, apparently, in this modern age. But yeah, I was looking for my theory test, couldn't find that. Then I couldn't find my provisional, realised that I'd gone out a couple of nights before with my friend and left it in her house. And so I literally didn't have the two documents I needed to, to sit my <laughs> driving test. Eventually found my theory and then had to drop my driving instructor at the time you know normally you get like the nice drive to the test center and that kind of relaxes you well you know he was just like never drive like this and then went like a bat out of hell like to my friend's house <laughs> who at the time lived in this really fancy ha- home with her parents and it was like gated so I couldn't even like go up to the door and knock and she was still in bed and it was a whole thing I was like slightly late for my driving test and did you I, get a minor for being slightly late no I, I completely failed <laughs> <laughs> I like no I turned up and they did actually let me sit it but I think I was just so wound up by that point I mean I don't think I did anything terrible you know I didn't hit a pedestrian or anything I just think I made so many minors <laughs> didn't hit a pedestrian <laughs> Is that part of the test? <laughs> yeah, don't hit yeah. a pedestrian. I, um, I think the ramifications are bigger than just failing your test if you hit a pedestrian. <laughs> I mean, uh, you'll be pleased to know that a month later I did sit my test again and I passed. Wait. With Wait. provisional and theory in hand. Oh yeah, I never made that mistake again. Congratulations. Thank you very much. What, what about one of you guys? Well, my most recent one is my charger for my computer. Can't charge it and I've got... A, Record the show. Record the podcast. (laughs) So if it sounds like we're talking really quickly, it's because Matt's on 9%. (laughs) (laughs) Is it just going to end really abruptly, this podcast? Cut out, yeah, suddenly. It'll be like the Sopranos finale. (laughs) We're we're so professional, aren't we? It's just going to go out in all sorts of... We're going to do the intros and then the outros, and then it'll be the conversation. Just just cut all all of Alex's bits out. No one one needs that. No, I'm not needed anymore. I can't think of anything but I think it's probably just because I've ironically forgotten them yeah. <laughs> that is ironic yeah. or well, you're just go. very 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 efficient very that doesn't sound like doesn't me. sound like you doesn't at all does like it me. Oh, um, me and my dad uh, ride bikes a lot and the other day we met up to go for a ride we met sort of halfway between where we live he lives in Devon I live in Bristol so we met up halfway yeah you are a crazy cyclist though that's a yeah, long yeah. way it's a it? long old way and he turned up, he'd been given a lift by my mum, turned up, started unpacking his bike and he'd forgotten his front wheel on his bike. <laughs> <laughs> right. You said that, I thought, 
I thought you I, I in my head I went got his wheel away didn't uh, think that was a thing but he did and then he genuinely did, did. His got his front wheel his front wheel he went back and his front wheel was sat on the on the um the sofa looking oh, all lonely forgot his looking all lonely I can tell you one thing I've never forgotten a wheel anywhere he's gonna be livid if that goes I what's your dad's name Tony Big Tone oh Tony Big Tone <laughs> Big Tone <laughs> it, it it does just happen to everyone it's just the epic way that Douglas has done it I mean when you think of Russia you just think that's a mammoth trip isn't it and to I think one of you're the not funny, gonna nip back are you? you're, not, you're <laughs> definitely not gonna nip back and the funniest thing that for me was that he was like oh yeah and I, I think I forgot them in the drawer and it's just like I, you could tell that he was picturing where he must have the left exact, them. You can feel when you think about it, you can feel the exact moment when he just pictured the drawer oh, and just remembered that he left them in there. You know, when you get like that, it hits you, doesn't it? When you've when you've forgotten something, it just like it hits you in the chest. You're like the drawer, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and you, go, you yeah. go really hot and red. Yeah, yeah. You feel like you're falling backwards. That whole in feeling. that moment, and then you start to breathe, and you're like, it, it's not. As bad as it feels. Oh my God, it is as bad as it feels. <laughs> and you recreate the whole this scene like horror. <laughs> I, know. I don't know how much tickets are to the game either. I mean, the trip alone's, you know, probably a very expensive one, but I, you know, I can't imagine the tickets are cheap either. So it's no. just devastating on so many fronts. <laughs> Douglas, if you're out there, please get in contact with us. I would love would, you to. You've got to my number on several notes. So. <laughs> <laughs> several pieces of paper, Douglas. I'm not going to say it. Over the, uh, over the podcast, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> please right. get in touch. Please get in contact with Bron on 07. <laughs> <laughs> right, Bron, thank you very much, and we'll chat to you soon yeah, again. No worries. A very clear warning from Bron there that if you're going to a mass event in another country, remember your tickets. Pack your tickets first. Yeah, yeah, pack your tickets first. Bottom of the suitcase, everything else on top, and then you can't forget it. That it blows my mind. Passport tickets. Those are the two things. I'd be. You don't like, need anything else. No, I, I wouldn't even be thinking about clothes. I'd even just make even sure money. Even money. You're fine. You can get away with that. Got it. two hands. <laughs> one's got my passport. One's got my passport. The other's got, one's my, got my ticket. But amazing. Amazing. Right, pro tip here: put the tickets in the passport. Blowing my mind. I know. Madness. Madness. I'm, I'm saying this as if I don't forget everything when I go on holiday. <laughs> yeah, I always forget something. Sunglasses, sun shit, all sorts of stuff. <laughs> right. That brings this week's show to an end. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Don't forget, you can chat to us on Twitter at IBL Podcast. You can rate, review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you got your podcast from. Just search for Inside Bristol Live. Thanks so much to Matt Aldis for producing the show and appearing again. Will you be back next week? Let's find out. It's a quadrilogy. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Inside Bristol, Inside Bristol Live Resurrection. <laughs> right, right. Thank you very much, guys. See you next week.